This week, Claire Williams on her team turning a corner, why George Russell is championship driver material, and F1 TV's Rosanna Tennant, Will Buxton and Lawrence Barreto on what they've missed and what they've enjoyed during F1's first triple header of the year. And now, from wherever Tom can find Wi-Fi in the hotel and my kitchen table, this is F1 Nation. Max Verstappen has had a day of drama already after going off on the reconnaissance lap. I just have to say, incredible work, guys. That's unbelievable. Thank you very much. And here we go. Both of the houses are coming into the pits. They will take the risk. And we're underway for the 2020 Hungarian Grand Prix. Ooh. That's why it's under investigation, oh. guy. Stroll thinking about the move on Grosjean, sends one late to the inside and makes it stick. Oh, this rubbish. And here we go with Bottas. Oh, no. Pierre Gasly, trouble all weekend long. How far is it behind Bottas? He's right behind him. So target pace, 18.5 to beat him. Brilliant stuff from Lewis Hamilton, and for the eighth time in his career, he wins the Hungarian Grand Prix. It was a super performance from Verstappen. <laughs> yes, guys, what a <laughs> A very warm welcome to all Formula One fans out there, and coming up, we have lots of chat and analysis after the opening three races of the 2020 season. I'm Tom Clarkson. And I'm still, despite the triple header, Alex Shakes. <laughs> Alex, did that really happen? I mean, it's been intense, hasn't it? It's been amazing, but it's been an intense three weeks. I think everyone forgets that is only the second triple header in Formula One history. After the first one, everyone was like, let's never do that ever again. And all we're doing this year is that over and over and over again. <laughs> So true, so true. But it's been it's been wild, I have to say. I mean, since I last spoke to you, AJ, I've done a 400-kilometer car journey from uh, where I was staying in Austria to Budapest. I was spotted at a burger joint by Esteban Ocon on the Hungarian border, <laughs> which he, t- he took the mickey out of me for. And then you just, there's no let up. You just bounce straight into it. You're straight back at the track. Very different feel at Budapest compared to the Red Bull ring, and, and away you go again. Now, be honest with us, TC. You've had to speak to every single driver and quite a lot of team representatives over the last three weeks. Have you been struggling for questions for anyone on the grid when you got to week three? <laughs> Luckily, actually, Alex, most of the guys are still in the honeymoon period at the start of the season, so they're making it quite easy you know, willing to chat and, and, and the Daniel, Daniel Ricciardo has been extraordinary. Can I just say he's been even more uh, effervescent and, and outrageous than he normally is. I would say the only people I'm struggling with at the minute, only, partly because I just feel a bit sorry for them, is the Alfa Romeo boys. Yeah, I understand. it's really not looking great. And so Kimi and Antonio come in and you're just like, oh, guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's all you want to say to them. But consolation prize wise, Kimi has a Formula One world championship under his belt and Antonio has the best hair on the grid. <laughs> He's certainly got lots of it. <laughs> Talking of drivers who I really didn't have to work hard to get a line out of, Sebastian was one of them. He just wanted to talk and talk and talk. He even said as he was leaving the press conference, I reckon I'm going to see you in here again this weekend and he's referring to the top three. Obviously that didn't happen but <laughs> he's just being jokey and funny and 
you know, happy-go-lucky, really. I think that's good for Formula One. Everyone wants to see that Sebastian Vettel back in the paddock rather than the guy who, to be honest, has had to carry the weight of the world on his shoulders at some points over the last few years. And box around the box, box for soft. Box for medium, don't you think? Just so draining. Understood. Epic. Ferrari coming up with the wrong option to put both cars on softs. We all saw what it did to Charles Leclerc's race once again, and we've talked about this throughout. Sebastian Vettel, player manager, overruling the pit wall and saving his race as a result. I know he got passed by Alex Albon late on, but that is an indication of the pressure that he's been working with for his duration at Ferrari. I remember him uh, questioning lots of decisions at Hockenheim a couple of years ago as well. There's just too much on his plate, and I think you see the difference between Vettel and Leclerc in that situation. Charles... Obviously a brilliant racing driver, but just doesn't have the status or experience of a Vettel yet. And I think isn't confident enough to overrule the team. Whereas Sebastian is quite happy to do that and never more so than now because he's out the door. (laughs) So we've got lots to bring you in this episode of F1 Nation. But let's get to the bits that have caught our eye in the last seven days. What are you going to go for first, Tom Clarkson? Well, back to the burger on the border. Um, (laughs) The Hungarians do a very fine cheeseburger, I must say. When I think of Hungary 2020 in 10 years' time, the image I will have is is the grid around Max Verstappen's racing car. Oh, yes. And just the the teamwork that was going on with the mechanics to rebuild that front left corner was quite phenomenal. Uh, I was blown away by it. In the gallery, we have every angle in the TV broadcast centre. And looking in the TV broadcast centre, all you could see is just a sea of every angle of all of those mechanics swarming round the car. And I was looking at photos of it afterwards as well, and I was thinking, how can you all be doing something? But having seen it in real time at the time, they were all with one job, and that was just a Herculean effort. To do that at the end of a triple header as well, when they have been working so many hours that is such an effort yeah 100% AJ and let's not forget they broke the curfew on Friday night yes. because they were so at sea with the setup on their car seems to me that Red Bull have just they brought six months worth of updates straight to Austria and I think they've just been muddling their way through trying to work out the influence of each update and I think had they been able to bring them race by race they wouldn't be in the situation they're in now but they've got a an aero balance problem and so burning the candle at both ends, difficult qualifying. Let's not forget they were 1.4 seconds slower than Mercedes in qualifying. Then Max does that on the way to the grid. Max has actually got a bit of history, AJ, of doing that. Do you remember, I think it was China last year on the formation lap, didn't he? He he spun then. He did, Um, he did. Well remembered. And then I'm also reminded of Alain Prost at Imola, I'm showing my age now, but Alain Prost at Imola in 1991. Can you imagine spinning on the on the formation lap? That was wet, wasn't it? Didn't Berger do that as well, but got away with it? But Prost did Might it. Might have done. Yeah, I, th- I think the image I have is Prost doing it in front of the hill at Imola, and he was being booed. <laughs> and then, surprise, surprise, six months later, he was sacked. <laughs> I mean, don't do it there. They will boo you. <laughs> That is amazing. So it was Red Bull for me, AJ. Uh, What caught your eye? Well, it's very similar. It's on a similar theme. It's the fantastic friendship of George Russell and Alex Albon. And after qualifying, a magnificent 12th. Once again, 
George Russell out of the car. And the guy is not timid ever, but he has the adrenaline flowing. His best mate is having a tough week. So some best mates would keep quiet and speak behind the scenes. And George Russell was like, no, I'm having it. I'm getting into Q2 these days so everyone can hear what I think of Red Bull. You know, he's one of the best drivers we all race. You know, Max, Charles, all of us will say it. He's always, always been at the front in everything he's done. And I don't know what the hell is going on. And I, I feel really, really bad for him because he's being made to look like an idiot. And he's absolutely not. And he, he's won in everything he's done. We said loads after the virtual Grand Prix. Oh, it'll be brilliant if we still see these drivers be this open and this honest and this forthright. And everyone else has basically gone back into the old PR speak. And George... Just carry it on. One of the punchiest quotes I've ever heard about a driver speaking about another team. It was great to see, but Alex, uh, and I think I know the answer to this question, but if you were his manager and you're thinking, I want this boy up the grid, you know that Red Bull's junior program doesn't really have any real proper talent coming through at the moment. So they might in the near future have to take a driver from elsewhere on the grid. Would you be encouraging him to say things like that about Red Bull? Or do you think he's just annoyed Helmut Marko and Christian Horner enough <laughs> to ensure that he will never drive a Red Bull ever? He would not be making those comments if he thought there was any path there. I know they tried to poach Lando Norris from a rival driver program when he's in Formula 2. That Red Bull are about winning, aren't they, Tom? And if they think George Russell's going to take their car to the front, it doesn't matter what he says on a Saturday into a microphone. Yeah, and actually... Uh, someone who's outspoken. That's actually quite Red Bull as well. He's very Red Bull. Can I just take back that question I asked you? Because I think you... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Now, Williams have endured some tough times in recent years, but they appear to have turned the corner. And whilst I was basically locked in the commentary box back at F1 headquarters, Tom was trackside in Budapest and he had a chat with Deputy Team Principal of Williams Formula One, Claire Williams. Claire, it's lovely to have you on the show. Thank you very much for your time. A bit weirdly, we're probably only 50 metres apart, but we're having to do this via Zoom. But this is the new normal. It is. Um, And I think we've all become quite familiar with our new normal, particularly in Formula One. We we got used to it while we were at home and now we've had to come away on our travelling circus and get used to a whole new way of being at the racetrack and you know I was actually doing a team talk with the guys this morning at Williams and thanked them obviously for all their efforts because in keeping themselves safe keeping their colleagues safe and then keeping F1 on the road because it's not easy doing what we do having to like follow all the guidelines that we've got to follow and of course we absolutely have to follow them and, and everyone really has respected those guidelines but it's not easy you know, even just wearing these face masks um, we shouldn't complain because clearly there are doctors and nurses that are having to wear these and, and full PPE all the time doing what they're having to do. It is very different, but it keeps people safe and that's the most important thing. But it, yeah, it's a different Formula One, I think, this year. Did you give your team talk via Zoom or could you actually go in with the boys? I know, we'll go in. No, cause we're, in it, we're in our little bubble, aren't we? So we were in the garage and... Mm. All together and it was nice you know it's important people are away from home for a long time a triple header you know we had one what a couple of years ago and we all found it pretty brutal and said never again please f1 never again don't do that to us but obviously with the situation is as it is at the moment formula one have got to try and put as many races back into the schedule and so that's going to see us having to do triple header after triple header and it does mean a lot of time away from home for 
you know, the teams, but also it means it puts an awful lot of pressure on the people, the family and loved ones that are left behind. You know, just thinking about things like childcare, you know, and things like that. So we're trying to just be really mindful and make sure that when the race team come back home, they have enough time at home that we support with childcare as much as we possibly can just to make life easy because this can, you know, can really break people. I mean, we're pretty resilient in Formula One, but it's going to be tough. Claire, what is, in terms of performance, uh, you've had cracking weekends. What's the overriding emotion at the moment for you? Is it one of relief, one of pleasure? Or is there even a tinge of frustration that you haven't made Q3 on the last weekend? There's, there's quite a lot of emotions, as you would probably imagine, because we have been through the mill for the past couple of years. It's been extraordinarily painful unless you've actually ever experienced something like that and don't forget we were also given quite a beating while we were down as well by some people and you know it it has been really difficult the emotions are running quite high at the moment and they're a mixed bag of them you know relief clearly is flooding through the team Um, we did promise that we were going to deliver improved performance this year and I'm so pleased that we've managed to deliver on that promise it was very important to us the excitement is back the adrenaline is back sitting there watching your cars go out and knowing that they can do something other than come last in quality and come last in the race yeah and you kind of quickly forget after two years what that does feel like. I'm going to need a paper bag on the pit wall. It's it's too much. My heart is probably, I don't know where my heart is most of the time, but it's under considerable stress. I just feel that, you know, we can all hold our heads up a little bit higher because it's never nice when you're down. And to have to try and keep holding your head up is difficult, but we have always done that. And, you know, now it just feels a bit like, yeah, we did it. You know, we told you we were going to. Thank you to all of those people that believed in us and kept supporting us. We've had incredible support over the past couple of years from the amazing fans that we have. And that has kept us going. And I'm pleased that we've been able to reward that faith and that the team deserves now to be in this position. Have you exceeded your pre-season expectations, just in terms of the pace of the car? I think it's always really difficult to understand exactly where you are before you get your car to a racetrack, isn't it? You can do spend as much time looking, you know, working in CFD, working in the tunnel, getting the numbers from both, then taking your car and putting it in the simulator and understanding where it is. And even, you know, pre-season testing in Barcelona, I actually thought from all of those results that, and I think we all thought that we were probably further back than we proved that, that we are in these races. And you know, there, there are a number of circumstances that may have contributed to that stronger pace than we've got. I wouldn't say surprised though, just because I know what people are capable of at Williams. We've worked incredibly hard. And, you know, surely after all that work, you deserve some kind of payoff. The other thing is, I don't think I ever dare hope or have any expectation before going into a season because you never know what you've managed to achieve accurately. You don't know what your competitors have managed to achieve. So I don't think, well, we're here and that's it. That's done. It's set. You've got to wait and see. What are the engineers saying then? I mean, you go into all the engineering debriefs don't you where is this car better than last year i think certainly you know knowing the issues that we had last year i mean clearly the aero wasn't where we wanted it to be and the team of aerodynamics that we've got back at the factory have worked incredibly hard to get the flow structures right to get a much better um, balance get some more stability on the aero package and i think they've certainly achieved that we've got work to do for sure you know we had some mechanical issues that we needed to rectify around brakes and um, cooling. 
and again, we've made steps forward in that. Nothing is perfect at the moment, but we've definitely made headway in the key areas that we wanted to. And of course, therefore, that means that that's all contributed to bringing what is a much more stable race car with better brakes. The drivers have much more confidence in the car. They're not you know, fearful of it almost anymore because it is much better from a balance perspective. You know, they, they know that the brakes are there and, you know, that, that all contributes as well. What about the structure of the team? Because you don't have a technical director at the minute. Is that a conscious decision going forward or are you just looking for a technical director? Yeah, no, it, it has been a, a conscious decision. I don't think that, you know, you necessarily need to continue with a, a traditional um, organizational model. It hasn't hasn't worked in the past, so try something new, right? I just think if you keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result, what is that? The, the, the lunacy. So, you know, we've, we've got a managing director now in Simon Roberts, who comes to us from a great career at McLaren as their chief operating officer. He's a F1, you know, aficionado through and through. He knows his stuff and he's pulling together the technical side with the operational side. And we think that he will be able to do really great things and drive the team forward. And then obviously with all the other restructuring work that we've been doing, there's been a huge amount. As we talked about all of last year, restructuring our aero department, restructuring the design office, bringing a, a planning function, um, reorganizing our manufacturing capabilities, bringing in new people across all of those areas. Um, that's all finally coming together. So there has been a lot of restructuring. There's also been a lot of promotion from within as well that's really paid off. We have a great existing team and we just needed to bring a few people in. But no, a technical, I don't believe at the moment that um, a technical director is, is absolutely what we need. We, I feel now we've got the right people in the right places, the team's organised in the right way, and now it's about letting them run and let them do their thing and, and getting on with it and moving us forward. Well, let's talk about the guys doing their thing in the cockpit. Nicholas has obviously made a solid start to his Formula One career, but I really wanted to talk to you about George George Russell, what makes him so special? George is so special. I think he's just mature beyond his years. And his parents warned me about this, I think, at the first race in Australia last year when I sat down and I had lunch with Steve and Alison. They're, they're lovely people. And they've worked incredibly hard to help George achieve this ambition of his of racing in Formula One, but they've kept him grounded. Um, and because of, I think, his, his background, his experience, George has been at a racetrack since, you know, from the same age that I was taken around a, a racetrack. And, you know, that seeps in. And George is incredibly determined. He knows what he wants. He knows how to vocalize that. He's very eloquent um, in, in telling the team what he wants, what, what he needs from us. Um, and he gives it his all. You know, he's just got, his, you know, that natural inherent ability. He doesn't have to really try a whole lot when he's in the car because he can just do it it's in him and you know there are lots of drivers like that but equally there are a lot that aren't and so we're very lucky but he's also willing to always learn and improve himself he takes it incredibly hard when he doesn't do what he feels is a good enough job um, and he always picks himself up and, and gets back in the car and, and tries to do a whole lot better the next time and he has He's never failed. He's never disappointed us. Um, he's always exceeded our expectation. And I'm so pleased that we have him in our team. He makes a big difference. How central is he to your plans going forward? 
I think it's important, as we all know, to have stability in your driver lineup. I think it's important that we've got a pairing like George and Nicholas, and I don't want to do Nicholas a disservice by us not talking about him because Nicholas, I think, has probably come into this sport. I think people may have had certain expectations around him, and I think that he is over-delivered, and I think he has surprised people. And I'm really, really happy with the lineup that we have. I think that they push each other. I've already seen that in these first couple of races. You know, they they looking at each other going, oh, wow, okay, you're, you're a bit of competition here. And that's great. That's what we need in this team, two drivers that are pushing each other, pushing their engineers hard to get the best because they want to beat their teammate. That's great for a team that's trying to move forward to have two drivers like that. So I'm really happy with both of them, and I'm really happy that we've got them for a while because that really is central to this journey that we're on of recovering this team. You know, swapping and changing is not going to help us, so that stability is just going to help keep pushing us forward. But how nervous were you that you might lose him next year? Um, I was nervous because he is so good. And I didn't obviously want to lose him. But equally, I'm not one of those people that really ever wants to stand in someone's way when they've got a great opportunity. And I think I proved that with Valtteri. You know, when Valtteri went to Mercedes a number of years ago now, Mercedes is a great team. You don't want to stand in somebody's way. So, of course, I was nervous. But, you know, obviously, that's not what's happened. Um, I'm not going to go into the detail of the whys and wherefores. All I can say is I'm just pleased that George is staying with us and we've got him for another year because he's a joy to have around the place. And you said in Austria that he's evolved and developed a lot since last year. Can you just outline where he's grown as a person and as a driver? Um, I think, you know, any time a, a driver's been in a, you know, in a sport, oh, sorry, I think when, you know, a rookie goes into their second year, they, they have learned an awful lot. And I think George, you know, as much as it was difficult for him last year, working in the shadows, so to speak, you know, gave him a, last year was kind of a rehearsal year. He was able to get away with stuff that, you know, some of his, peers haven't been able to because they've been higher up the grid and when you're higher up the grid there's a much greater spotlight you're so much more exposed your mistakes are so much more obvious and George um, I think that should be a considered a positive for George that he was able to have his learning year kind of without that spotlight and I think that afforded him the opportunity to learn a whole lot more you know because he had the time to do it he wasn't you know, under that level, same maybe same level of pressure that a rookie can be higher up the grid. But just, you know, just the way, I think mostly the way he talks to the engineers and the rest of the team, I think he's learned that he, a driver can have a real involvement in leading a team, particularly when things aren't going well. Um, yeah, there are so many things that he's probably learned over the years. He's probably best, or over the year, he's probably best placed. But yeah, as well, having a few knocks and, and starting in a in a team that isn't having the, the best time will make him stronger. Yeah, and we talked about this before. You know, he hasn't had it easy, and he yeah he's had you know many years in the junior formula of having you know you know wins and victories and championships. And this will he might may not think it now, but it will put him in much better stead moving forward. In the future, it will make him a much stronger driver, having had this experience, or certainly last year's experience at Williams. You've had many great drivers through your doors, including, what, seven world champions. 
you've known many of those guys. Do you see George in the same bracket as as the Damon Hills and the Rosbergs and the Joneses and the whoever else? Manson? Yeah, 100%. And I would move heaven and earth to, to make George a world champion at Williams. I absolutely see him. George is his own person. He's very much his own person. He has a his own personality, but uh, the talent is is absolutely there. You know, combined with the commitment, the dedication, the singular focus that he has. Now, I can't speak highly enough of George. I, I do consider myself lucky every day that he's in this team. Fantastic. Look, final thoughts. Silverstone next week. When was your first visit to Silverstone? Can you can you even remember? When? Oh my God. Probably when, when my mother was pregnant with me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, my, I don't know whether I went uh, like when I was one or two I mean my memory doesn't go that far back I'm far too old to remember that those years of my life but you know, I went to Silverstone from a very young age and I probably was there when I was one or two or three we were always put to work I would always be there making the teas for the boys in the garage or helping with the washing up in our you know makeshift caravans that were classed as motorhomes back then and Silverstone's just a and magical place. I love, I love that place. But I, you know, this year, I know it's going to be so very different to the years that we've gone there before because our fans won't be there. And the fans at Silverstone are the best in the world. I know that, of course, I'm going to say that because I'm British, but they really are. Driving into Silverstone when, you know, on the, the Thursday, turning up for the first day of the weekend, driving in on the Saturday and the Sunday, I mean, it gives you goosebumps. I'm sure it's not just me. I'm sure everybody feels that because the atmosphere is electric and it clearly that's got a lot to do with Lewis and what he's managed to achieve and what he represents for British sport. But, you know, it is racing your British cars in front of a British crowd is just so special. And I will be desperately sorry not to see the fans that we hope in 2021, they'll be back and we will have missed them. And the track's been really good to you guys. First win in 79, 100th win in 97 with Jacques Villeneuve. Were you at those races? Can you remember them? Uh, no, because I was only three in 1979, so I definitely don't remember that, and I know I wasn't there. And yeah, my dad never took me to many races. In fact, this was the first race behind Hungary in 1992 that my dad ever took me to by myself. So we, we weren't taken to a lot of races. Hey, that was the race that Nigel won the yeah, World Championship. I know. And I was here by myself. It, it was amazing. Uh, a good track to Williams. This morning, actually, I was literally just thinking, I don't know why it popped into my head about the, what year was it, 15 or 16, when... The Mercedes were lined up on the front row of the grid and Balto and Felipe were in P's three and four and they just overtook them. And oh my God, I just, that was just extraordinary. And it's those moments that kind of keep me going, certainly just to, it's so difficult to explain what it feels like to run a Formula One team and, and to see your team be successful because that's why we all do this. This is why we're so passionate, why we never give up because it's those moments when you see your cars doing well yeah, even now, fine, they're not going to be taking the lead at Silverstone in the two weeks' time, but you know, hopefully we'll put on a good show and that will you know, make my heart sing a little bit. That's the first time I'd heard that. Brilliant to hear that chat between Tom and Claire Williams. How fantastic for George Russell, for someone who has seen all these champions pass through the team, who was at the track when Nigel Mansell won his title in 1992. He is in that bracket. He's that good. What a recommendation from the deputy team principal. And we thank Claire for her time and for her candid answers there.
Well, these have been strange times for Formula One. Now, you heard Claire Williams talking there about the different situation that Formula One has found itself in. Different protocols, constant testing, bubbles. Everyone has had to get used to new working conditions pretty quickly. We thought we'd ask some familiar faces what they miss about the old F1, what we had last year and before, and what they've enjoyed about the slightly tweaked existence that we've all found ourselves in this year. This is Rosanna Tennant, Will Buxton and Lawrence Barreto on their experiences over the last three weeks. I've missed being in the paddock and being in and around the Formula One world. I've also missed being able to interview the drivers and follow the storylines of a weekend in Formula One up close. Even though it's super important that the drivers are wearing masks, I really miss seeing their facial expressions. The Daniel Ricciardo's smile, for example, that just is part and parcel of being in Formula One. I've also missed the fans. I love going out to the fan zones and chatting with fans from all over the world who've come to take part in a Formula One weekend. The biggest thing I miss is just being able to walk down the paddock and talk to people. Uh, it's been really, really hard to actually work out what's going on at the teams, you know, who's feeling good, who's not feeling good. Just just get the general lay of the land. Half of your job in the paddock is to talk to people and to get a feeling for what's going on. And you can't do that because you can't mix bubbles. You can't go into anybody's space. And so that's been really, really hard. It's been um, it's been very, very strange to, to kind of have to try and do your job and try and get to the bottom of what's going on in the paddock without the ability to actually do that. That and the fact that for the last three weeks I've been traveling with my fiance to the same places, but she's at a bubble with a racing team and I'm at a bubble with F1 Digital. So having lived together nonstop uh, for the last sort of four months, yeah. The closest we've come to each other is uh, kicking our shoes against each other uh, because we can't give each other a hug. So kind of kind of missed, missed giving my fiance a hug as well. <laughs> One thing that I do miss about F1 pre-COVID is, is the grid and uh, on race day and the opportunity to go up and see the cars up close, to talk to a team boss or an engineer and get a snippet of information to feel that atmosphere of the tension building and obviously to feel the fans and the noise uh, and the excitement from the grandstands that straddle the start finish straight so I can't wait till we can return to a time when fans can be there when we can go on the grid and we can experience what it's like to build up to a Grand Prix uh, those days will come I loved the way the Formula One community pulled together to put on the show while still keeping everybody safe. And I love the fact that we were able to launch our F1 Live pre-race show to hype everyone up before the start of the races. It was very different to what we are used to working in the paddock, being back in a studio in the UK, but I have loved every minute of it. So one thing I've really enjoyed about these opening three races is the new way in which the media day on Thursday has worked because we've managed to get every team and every driver through into a press conference and then to speak to TV channels in the pen individually. And from that, I think we've actually got better answers. Everybody's been able to speak to everybody they've wanted to because none of the media sessions have crossed over. Um, and I just think it's been a really good way of working it. It's something which a number of people in the, in the press and in TV have been trying to work out with the teams for so, so many years. And bizarrely, coming back to racing under these socially distanced restrictions it's actually enabled it to happen 
One thing I really enjoyed about the F1 triple header was just how it showed how F1 always finds a way to make things happen. There was definitely a few strange looks on that first day when everyone was trying to adjust to the new normal. Um, but within a couple of days, everyone had found a way to make things work. And it was just like the old times, um, just slightly different. Um, it was great to have three great races. Um, and by the time we got to Hungary, I think there was a real good feel good vibe, even though obviously lots of people were tired and you know the long hours that we'd pulled. Rosanna Tennant, Will Buxton and Lawrence Barreto telling us what they've enjoyed about the last three weeks and what they've missed about what is, at the moment, the old era of Formula One. TC, same question to you. What have you enjoyed about the last three weeks? What have you missed about the old, traditional, normal Formula One setup that we've had for years? I have loved the last three weeks because it's just brilliant being on the road. What I have particularly loved about it is the lack of BS in that. <laughs> I know it's the BS that, that pays everyone's salary, ultimately, but I've loved the fact that everyone in the paddock is there for racing. And I feel that Formula One has almost gone back in time. So yeah. it's almost yeah, it's a bit of a contradiction to say what do I miss about the old Formula One, because this feels like the old Formula One, but from 40 years ago. Nice. Um, but also, mate, got to be honest, got to be honest. Cappuccinos in motorhomes. That's what I love. <laughs> I love my cappuccino in the morning before 11 o'clock for all you Italians out there. And um, bouncing into a motorhome and while the milk in the cappuccino is warming, shooting the breeze with team principals. And that opportunity is not there now. So yes, coffee is my big vice. Uh, and that's kind of what I miss, AJ. How about you? So the obvious one is missing being at the track and missing the engines firing up and being able to look out of the window rather than look around my monitor and see a concrete wall. It's quite useful to see what everyone's tyres are on at the start of an F2 race, for example. But not being able to do that. I think one thing I have loved about this is the relentless run of races and you get a different form. You get to see who is working well with the team. So I've loved doing 17 races in 21 days. Obviously miss trackside, but I have to say the main thing I miss about this version of motor racing on the F1 weekend, and that is to say nothing against my brilliant co-commentators, are the Italian dulcet tones of Davide Valsecchi. But the shit is just stronger than him at the moment. He's taking the DRS. He's going to have the DRS also in the second main train. It will be interesting to check it out if the breeze come at the door. This relentless version of Formula One is going to give us a week off, can you believe? And Tom's going to be able to avoid what looks like a 1940s train where he currently is. But it's a business centre, isn't it, Tom? I'm in the business centre of my hotel, about to hop to the airport, actually, Alex. We need to put an end to this. Is that OK? That is fine by me. We have quite <laughs> literally run out of time for this week's F1 Nation. For next week's episode, though, we'd love to read out some of your comments about what you have missed and what you've enjoyed about F1 in 2020. So let us know and we'll read the best of them out on next week's episode. Leave us a review. Subscribe if you can. We'd be very much appreciative of that. But for now, our thanks to Claire Williams, to Rosanna Tennant, to Lawrence Barreto, to Will Buxton and to TC, who has already signed out of Zoom to dash to the airport. Also, most of all, thanks to you for listening. We will be back next week when F1 Nation returns. Bye for now.